Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Little Egypt Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Hefferman. <laughs> Thank you, boys. <laughs> and with me, as always, is uh, sports editor Les Winkler and sports writer Bucky Dent. So, uh, busy week, busier than I thought. Uh, <laughs> that was a big surprise to a lot of people um, that Jerry Kill uh, stepped down as the athletic director at SIU on Monday. Uh, he's going back to football uh, as the special assistant to uh, Coach Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Uh, it's a coaching position, but it uh, doesn't have a lot of recruiting. It's a newly created position. Uh, it's not necessarily uncommon at the FBS level, but it's it's fairly uncommon in the ACC, actually. Um, but the uh, you know Kill wants to go back, and uh, he's he's set the department up. Um, Liz Jarnigan, uh, who came from Air Force uh, last year as kind of his number two, she kind of handled all the internal uh, operations while he was out fundraising a lot of the time. She's very sharp. Uh, she helped find uh, Ed Allen. She had, a, she had an in with him. Uh, they both worked together at Tulsa. She's also been in on, on a couple of the other hires, uh, a couple of the other, all the other policies they've done uh, since Jerry has come in. So she'll be able to step right in, but, uh, you know, weird timing for Jerry Kill to leave, but you just kind of get the sense you can't blame the guy for going back to coach football if that's really what he wants to do. But but you just have a sense where he just kind of left before the job was done. Yeah, I um, I, I think you a person has to follow his passion, his or her passion. I, I, I don't argue that. Um, and Jerry is going to be happiest when he's coaching football. I don't think there's any question about that. But uh, he, he's, he's made the, the athletic department over in his, his image, and there's still some things that you're right. It, it, feels, it feels like that he left before the job was completed. And, you know, I, I don't blame Jerry for going I would probably, in the same situation, do the same thing. But I think the Jerry Kill brand in Southern Illinois has been damaged by this. People, I think, are upset. Uh, Jerry didn't explicitly say it, but I think people got the feeling uh, that uh, this was home now and this is where he was going to stay. So in, in, that, in that regard, I think the Jerry Kill brand maybe has been damaged a little bit. Uh, just in turn, I mean, it doesn't make him a bad person or or whatever. I I just think that that people will look at him just a little bit differently now. The the first thing that I saw, uh, my first reaction when I saw the tweet was whoa. The second reaction was West Virginia because uh, I believe I'd Virginia seen, Tech. I believe it was originally put as West Virginia on the tweet, and then when I saw Virginia Tech, I thought, well, dang, I should have given him a recommendation of the places to go to in the Valley. <laughs> Remember, I covered Virginia Tech for a decade. But that being said, I know I'm not as well plugged into Tech as I used to be, but I know for a fact there is some heat on Justin Fuente there this year. There are two and one. The wins have been pretty unimpressive. Old Dominion and a one-touchdown win over FCS foe Furman last week. Yeah, Furman was fighting um, them to the end. Yeah, and in fact, Furman had recovered an onside kick in the last couple of minutes, but it got overturned by a replay review. It detected apparently Furman was offsides before said kick. But anyway, they're into an off week this week, which may have been another thing, too, because with an off week coming up this week, it may give them a chance to offer a little more, kind of come in with his running a little bit before they open up conference play against Duke next week. 
And on top of that, Fuente is starting to catch a little flack from some boosters. He's actually done a pretty decent job the first three years there, but he's also replacing a legend in Frank Beamer. And you got to remember, it's always the, it's never the guy who replaces the legend that <laughs> succeeds. It's the guy replacing the guy after he replaces the legend that generally has the best chance. I'm not saying Jerry will end up being the next coach in Blacksburg, but if things go off the rails for Tech during conference season, there is that possibility out there. And, and that's something I just didn't didn't get either, Les. Just his health. I mean, he looks great, and and and, I, and I've seen him out at, at the football games and in practice, but. I mean, his body has shown that he can't handle it. I mean, he had seizures at, at Rutgers in, in the one year he was there, and, and there's not a lot of expectations to win at Rutgers. Uh, there are expectations to win at Virginia Tech. Yes. And and even when he was at uh, um, Minnesota, Minnesota, you know. And but then his, his, I thought he was past it. And you're never past epilepsy. It's not. It's an uncurable position, a condition that you basically have to treat with medica- medication. Now he may not have to recruit a lot, but I was I was just kind of surprised, and I'm honestly a little I'm a little worried that he's he's going back to the field to go into that situation again. Yeah, it, it is the it's a mental strain. I mean, there's there's no question about that, uh, as well as physical. I mean, being out there for the way college football is played today, you're out there on the field four or five hours, and sometimes less than uh, wonderful weather, you know, whether it's the heat or the cold or rain or snow or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I share those same concerns. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm not, and I'm not saying that being an athletic director, especially in this time of turmoil at SIU, is not a stressful position. But the fact of the matter is you're not exposing yourself to the elements and, and there's just not, there's not the physical strain of being out on the field and, you know, going through practices and workouts and everything too. So yeah, you know, that's a consideration as well. Uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry has to know that. I mean, that's, you know, you and I can, you and I can sit here and, and discuss it all day long, but it's, a, it's something that Jerry has to know within himself. And what if there's the possibility too, that Jerry, and we, I don't know this for fact and, you guys probably know more about this than I do, but what if what if there's a chance that Jerry had just either told them or decided in his mind when he took this job, I'm going to get this thing back to where I think it's going to be in good shape financially. We've got the right people in here. I've got someone I can trust that I know will do a good job. You know, when I, when I get this the way I want it to, and then I'm going to get back into coaching again. I mean, I think there's always that chance that maybe he had either he had decided that to himself and just hadn't told anybody or he told the administration look i just want to be here to get this thing off the ground again and in good shape and then i'm going to get back to coaching that that's that's fair but but i thought he was past that cuz he cuz he went into kansas state he liked being an administrator there he was around the football program um and then to come here you know as Les pointed out in, in his column, uh, that he he didn't necessarily come here to be the athletic director. He came here just to be the to help Carlo Montemagno with fundraising, with maybe with enrollment, you know, help the university any way he could while he was here because he has a he has a granddaughter here, his family is here. He's he's had a house at the Lake of Egypt for years, even when he was at Minnesota. But he also, you know either promised or at least gave people that that he brought in he brought Jeff Jones and Liz Jarnigan and all these people in that he would he would give them possibly 3 years and then see where they were at but but you never know if it's if it's a great opportunity for him it, it sounds like a great opportunity for him uh I just I thought he was past coaching 
and you know, let's you know, let's be perfectly fair in in, in terms of where where the coaching sits and fundraising and just just on the the naming rights of the Banterra Center now. SIU athletics is at a better place now than it was when he came in 16, 18 months ago. I I mean, I don't I don't think anybody can dispute that. No, um, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's still kind of a shock to the system to, to see him go. I mean, I, you know, he's so omnipresent that it, I was at the volleyball match uh, Tuesday Tuesday night, and I you know, was looking in the corner where Jerry usually stands there with his arms folded, leaning against the wall, watching the game. You know, it was just kind of a, a little bit of a shock not not to see him in that position because he was just everywhere. I mean, just it, it seems like you could take a jet across campus and he would beat you over there. He was just always at every event. Yeah, and people have asked me what what Liz Jarnigan will be like. I mean, she's she's very sharp. She's uh, if you're not familiar with her, she's uh, she coached volleyball um, at a small college uh, for a couple of years. Um, she was very high up at, at the Air Force Academy. Kind of dealt with all their internal operations. More really more so their their men their women's sports more than their men's sports. And and the Air Force Academy has unique challenges. It does not have an unlimited budget. Like a lot of people think, because it's a service academy, they have some budget issues uh, every year, just like SIU does. Um, number one, because they have so many sports, but number two, you know, they have regulations they have to go through uh, for funding and, and fundraising. Uh, I think she'll do a great job. She's uh, she's the second woman ever to be appointed athletic director here, but the first uh, to be the full time athletic director. Charlotte West was the interim director. For a number of months, uh, I discovered yesterday uh, there was an, according to the records for SIU, that uh, Jim Livingood was here uh, for a while. He stepped down to go back to Washington State. She was the appointed the interim, and then they hired Jim Hart uh, the, the following summer uh, to be the athletic director. But uh, I, I think she'll do a great job. Really, she has to she has to take care of Title IX. She has to get a little bit more involved in fundraising than she has before, and she's going to have to address uh, the football program. If, if they're not uh, if they're not able to turn the corner this year, um, she's going to have some decisions to make there. But she's uh, she's really sharp, and I think she'll do a good job. I think uh, the the one thing that stands out in my mind is that uh, how far society has come since the days of the Charlotte West, Jim Livengood, Jim Hart thing. It dawned on me. Today, as I was driving to work, I'm like, holy crap, SIU has a women's athletic director, and she is the full-time. Now, that's never happened That's never happened before, but it took like two days for that, for that to dawn on me. I mean, it's just so, it's just so common now for, to, for women to ascend into the ranks that you don't, that you don't even really notice when the glass ceiling is, is broken again. And I think, that's, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a positive. Um, the, the other thing, just building off what you said about the football, um, and the fundraising, I think there's two items right there. Um, you know, given given what Banterra has poured into the the Banterra Center, the funding there. You know, how big a help would it be if there was a, a you know they could tell they could sell the naming rights to Saluki Stadium. I mean, that would be a huge step forward if they could. Uh, There's a vote for 17th Street Stadium so that they would serve us <laughs> <a> barbecue. <laughs> that would not be. Uh, that would not be bad. <laughs> slash Pagliai, slash Quattro, slash. <laughs> well, then you'd have to hear that jingle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Cook's portable warehouse. They could turn it into a big portable warehouse. Yeah, that would look kind of cool. Yeah, the like the war, do like the roof of the warehouse for the Cook's dome or yeah, something. Yeah, the warehouse dome. There we go. I think we're onto something here. That would be a, that would be a boost. Uh, and then. Uh, you know, it, it, but just like you said, Jerry's hired. I mean, seven of the eleven. I mean, he's hired all the major sports basically, and uh, they, they've started winning. I mean, uh, football winning an FBS team, volleyballs won some matches. We really didn't think they were going to. Um, a softball team took off last year. They should have another good year this year. It's volleyball, volleyball last night equaled last year's win total, and we're not in the conference season yet, so. Um, Alan, I mean they're they're gonna they're gonna have some struggles from time to time. As last night, the the indication I mean, within the match, they, there were some struggles. That's going to continue, but I, I it it appears as if Ed Allen is going to do a really good job. Well, then moving to football, uh, SIU is playing their second FBS opponent of the season uh, at Arkansas State. They're significantly better than UMass, but uh, they they've got some issues themselves. I mean, they're coming off a fifty-five nothing loss to, to third-ranked Georgia. And and SIU doesn't have obviously the talent that Georgia does, but they've uh, you know their quarterback's pretty good, but but they're they've their best receiver. They've struggled to get him involved in the in the game plan. They have uh, they have several other good receivers, but their their lines, their offensive defensive lines are, are uh, somewhat new. Uh, they're possibly going to be back, be without their their best cornerback, and they don't have a ton of them behind them. And SIU's proven to run the ball uh, pretty significantly in the last two games. What do you expect from this game? And 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 either way, SIU's got to feel pretty good about themselves. They're either going to be three and one, or two and two going into the bye week, and then going into the conference season. Uh, two things: they I don't think they can afford to get off to another slow start like they have been doing the last couple last couple weeks. First uh, quarter, yeah, against the, against a decent FBS team, uh, uh, you could get buried pretty quickly. Uh, which de- you know, as which defense is going to show up? The SIU defense in the first quarter uh, Saturday was the same defense that <laughs> either either did or did not show up at SEMO, No matter, depending on how you want to phrase that. But SIU has looked good defensively the last two games, and um, I, I think it's pretty clear that Javon Williams has to get the ball on offense. And boy, that's a nice that's a nice one-two punch if you got Williams and DJ Davis. You know, if you get them, in, you get them on the field at the same time. The the defense has pretty much got to cover the entire field. Then, yeah, the the impression I had listening to the first quarter of the SIU game on radio Saturday night was they've spent all week patting themselves on the back for beating an FBS team, and now they're getting housed by a, a decent OVC team, but still one that was picked, I think, seventh in the preseason <laughs> in the conference. Then all of a sudden, after I got home got involved in other stuff and then start following you guys on Twitter, it looks like all of a sudden this went from 14 nothing to 28-14 the other way. And it just sounded like they physically dominated Martin over the last three quarters, which to me kind of validates beating UMass in the first place. And as you pointed out, <coughs> it really puts them in a really good spot this week because they're playing of house money in this game. You know, they're not expected to be Arkansas State. But there are some vulnerabilities out there for Arkansas State that SIU seems to be in decent position to attack. And if you can get off to that good start against a team that probably isn't feeling too confident after getting just destroyed by Georgia, probably uh, beat up physically as well, get off to a good start against them, maybe get them doubting themselves a little bit, turn the crowd on them, and who knows, you might go into that bye week three and one of two FBS wins, 
probably get ranked in the top 25, I would imagine, then, and have two weeks to get ready for a difficult conference opener against South Dakota State. I think uh, uh, turnovers. Uh, SIU is going to have to create turnovers, I think, in order to be successful uh, at Arkansas State. Anytime you play, uh, anytime you play, play up a level, I think that's the case. And you know, so far they've shown an ability to do that. I mean, it's not like uh, it's not like they're picking off every third pass or anything, but they are creating some opportunities for themselves. And, and you got to get some kind of a break. You either got to win the turnover battle, or you've got to score on defense, or you've got to score on special teams. Uh, to get one of those, they they won the turnover battle. I think it was two to one against UMass, and uh, they, they they're starting to play like the team I, I hope they would play. Like I mean, they've got a great offensive line, they've got a deep offensive line, um, they've got a, a suspect quarterback that hasn't proven to me that he's uh, he's a guy that can sling it thirty, forty, fifty times, and they've got three running backs that they're going to use uh, this weekend. They've got Romero Elliott back. He's a real fast guy, uh, pretty durable guy, too. D.J. Davis will get the majority of the carries, and then they're going to throw Javon in there, too. And they have other guys. I mean, they won the game against UT Martin without Nigel Kilby catching a pass or Jaquan Burton catching a pass. So that's uh, that's a pretty significant to me, and, and their defense has really stepped it up that I, I think they can play a lot better than they have still. And uh, Arkansas State hasn't impressed me, the two games I watched. I watched the uh, the – SMU game and the UNLV game they won even they did not have a ton of big scoring plays uh, they gave up a ton of big scoring plays to Georgia um, so I, I think they've got some questions to answer themselves this weekend but one other thing that I'd add really quickly about SIU's offense I think Avante Cox has has uh, op- he opened my eyes Saturday yeah, night yeah they want to use him more and more too yeah and they used him running the ball a couple times and well he he made, he made a move at the uh about the 10 or 11 yard line the other night that left about 15 ankles broken on the uh, uh, UT Martin defense and just just ran by people. So he's he's somebody that we might keep our eyes on as well. For some reason it makes me think of the Aflac commercial when you said 15 ankles are broken. <laughs> <laughs> Aflac. <laughs> he, he, he put him to the turf. It was, it was impressive. That was one of their better safeties too. Well, prep football uh, returns this weekend, and uh, conference play opens. Uh, you know, a couple couple of big games, but but two we were talking about before we started was uh, Benton uh, going to Heron, and then uh, uh, Carbondale uh, playing Centralia and Marion playing Cahokia. So, what what do you think you'll learn about those six teams uh, this weekend? The big story to me is what we're going to learn about Benton. Benton uh, on paper, Benton looks like it is the most improved team in the area. It's beaten its three opponents by a combined score of 136 to 6, which is extremely impressive. The caveat here is the three teams they've played, Carterville, Sparta, and Pinckneyville, neither has won a game yet. So you think Benton is much improved, but I think we're about to find out just how improved they are. This is not a, a vintage Heron team they're playing Friday night, but it's still a Heron team that's going to be mad after a loss to the coin in a game they were in at halftime. Heron is playing its home opener. They want to get off to a good start in the conference. And I think in a lot of ways we're going to start figuring out just how good this Benton team is this year. Yeah, it's the <laughs> there was some discussion on Twitter last night about Benton not getting uh, – Rated or whatever to get off to the three and zero start. They're coming off a one and eight season, right? And as you said, the the three opponents they have have yet to win a game. So um, obviously they're much better than they have been. But 
this will be a, this will be an insight in, as to how much better. And kind of looking forward to talking with some other coaches later on the day for a story I'm doing on that game for Friday. Is kind of getting some opinions about how much better do they think Benton is this year. You know, people they've played against. Obviously, when you talk forty-two nothing, forty-two six, fifty-two nothing, there's substance to that. Even if you're not playing strong opponents, correct, right. But at the same time, you know, I want to see what happens when they get pushed a little bit. I want to see what type of team we're talking about then, and that's where Friday night could start answering some questions for us in that regard. Right. What, what do you think about Marion's chances? Uh, what have you seen from them their first three games? Okay, the thing that struck me about Marion is two things. One, they found ways to win. Lucas Will has been a more than a capable replacement for Boston Ziegler at quarterback. They've uh, produced big plays on offense and in the special teams. They had a kick, re- a punt return score last week against Thailand that really helped them win that game. There is one big concern, though, if you're Marion. I know Kerry Martin worries about this. They've given up over 300 yards rushing in each of the last two games. And eventually that's going to catch up with you. You're not going to be able to give up 300 yards rushing and win at Cahokia. They've got to tighten up the rushing defense. Yeah, and the, the South Southern race, I think, will be determined fairly quickly yes. this year because uh, uh, Mount Vernon's not very good. Althoff's not very good. Centralia looks to be like better than them, but not among the, the, the people who are going to contend for the conference title. That'll probably come down to Carbondale, Cahokia, and Marion, and everybody's playing each other in the first two weeks of the season. So yep. that, that'll that get sorted out pretty quickly, and then it's just a matter of the uh, the team that comes out uh, unscathed, uh, holding on and beating the people they should they should beat. Now here's the other thing to watch, too. In case Marion can go up to Cahokia and pull things off this week, and then Carbondale... Uh, wins its game at Centralia Friday night and then comes home and holds serve, so to speak, against uh, Cahokia the following Friday. What if you had Carbondale hosting Marion in Week 8 and they're both 7-0? and That's fine. <laughs> that, that would be a pretty crazy atmosphere over at Blyer that, Field, I would believe. That would draw a pretty good crowd. Yes. I believe that would become our Friday night game of the world if that's the case. <laughs> Pretty good, pretty good bet on that one. I guess we'd have to, we'd have to cover that one. I guess. I guess we'd have to find a way to fit it into our schedule. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of interested in seeing what Carbondale does this week. Long trip up to Centralia. Team on paper they ought to beat. You know, and it's a it's a it's a trap game too because you you know they're looking at Cahokia a little bit for the following week, and this is another place where you find out how far this program has matured the last couple of years. Can they take this game and, and focus on it and not worry about a bigger game coming up the next week and take care of business up at Centralia? Well, one, one thing, I covered the game Friday night, and they left a bunch of points on the field. They beat Waterloo 28-14. Waterloo beat Heron first first game of the year. Carbondale and, and Brian Lee was one of the first things he said, I think, before the tape recorder even came on. is like, hey, we did not play very well offensively tonight. They had a lot of opportunities where they just – uh, they they got they turned the ball over on downs a couple times in the red zone and just didn't just didn't uh, finish off some drives. So you, you, they they haven't played up to their potential yet either. So you know we'll we'll see how that uh, plays out as the season progresses as well. And they're still averaging over thirty points a game. And Correct. Darius Raglan <laughs> has definitely uh, been a more than a capable replacement for Jakeba Burley. In fact, I think you're going to see a feature on Raglan next week before the Cahokia game as we explore just how he's been able to step in with virtually no drop-off in this offense. Well, speaking of other things that won't be, uh, won't be decided very quickly, the, uh, the NL Central race rolls on. Uh, the Cardinals are still ahead. 
Cardinal Cubs are losing people left and right. The Brewers continue to win even without Christian Yelich. Um, do you think Mike Schilk will be the manager of the year if the Cardinals finish first or second? <laughs> yeah, and he could get fired if they don't make the playoffs. <laughs> Any, anything's up there, I guess. Um, the, the Cardinals just aren't getting many innings out of their starters. Part of that is pitch count, and part of it is managerial decisions. He uh, he lifted, uh, to me, it was a mystery why he lifted uh, Mike Waka on uh, Sunday after five innings after only 76 pitches. Uh, the, the bullpen, which had been stellar from the All-Star break on, is suddenly uh, suddenly uh, taking on some water. So, uh, yeah, I, I, my, according to my Twitter feed, uh, Mike Schilt would not be considered, a, a, at least among the fans, as manager of the year. <laughs> he is taking, he's taken some serious heat the last couple of weeks. But, um, if, they, but if they win the division... I, I mean, will, will he I, not win? I think he has to be. I think he has to be considered. Yeah, I think I think he has to be considered. I think Brian Snicker of the Braves has to be considered. Uh, Dave Roberts will draw some votes, even though the you, the Dodgers win every year, but they've been so overwhelming this year that I think you have to give some of that credit to Roberts for finding ways. They have had some injuries too, and this is I'm, I'm not a Dodger supporter by any means, but I think you have to get the guys due for continuing to win games, but. Back to Schilt, I do think you have to wonder a little bit about the usage of certain guys in the bullpen. I think John Gant's arm is pretty much falling, uh, falling off at this stage. He just can't throw a pitch over the plate, and you feel bad for a guy that's been so stellar most of the year, and he can't get to the finish line right now. So you're operating one guy short. Tyler Webb's mojo has worn off a little <coughs> bit, and that's another guy you were getting some pretty surprising contributions from. And when you take two guys out of the mix in your bullpen that you rely on, and now you're going to younger guys that you don't know a whole lot about, and you're just kind of hoping they come through for you, that's when you run into things like two out grand slams in the top of the ninth like they did Sunday. Well, what if uh, what if the Cardinals and the Cubs beat themselves up and the Christian Yelich-less uh, Milwaukee Brewers. Don't laugh at that. Slide yeah, let's I know it's very possible. Because have you looked at the Brewers' schedule? Yeah, I know they're 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 playing they're playing, they're playing nothing. To <laughs> la- they're, they're playing scrimmage games these last couple of weeks, essentially. So then does Craig Council become the manager of the year? You know, and that's the other thing too. The Brewers, I thought, were one of the biggest disappointments in baseball for four or five months. They had five guys on the All Star team, and they were barely above five hundred at the time. Their starting pitching has been trash most of the year. Their bullpen outside Josh Hader has been pretty hit or miss, and here they are in position to maybe take advantage of two <laughs> teams, one of which is very injured in the Cubs, the other which is running out of fumes in the bullpen in the Cardinals, and here come the Brewers maybe walking in right through the back door to maybe win this thing. So Christian Yelich was the problem, obviously. No, yeah, no doubt. I mean, this friend of mine, friend of mine who uh, covers the Mets, uh, in New York for a bunch of outlets, was joking on Twitter the other day, so the Brewers are 112 of 13. Why Christian Yelich was the problem? My column. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, Cubs-Cardinals starts uh, Thursday. Is that Thursday night said? at Wrigley. <clears throat> yeah, hopefully we'll have Rizzo by the end of the series. But uh, thanks for joining us to, we'll. su- to subscribe yeah, to Southern we'll. Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the southern.com or his batting practice on these <laughs> Or call Les Winkler at 618 351 5088. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>